0: And greetings dear listener. Garmology is back with your weekly instalment of chat about clothes and stuff. I'm your host Nick Johansson, and for those of you with a keen and ongoing interest in the weather patterns of small town Norway I can report that this week it's mostly cold with touches of rain so um, we've all got our waxed cotton overwool on at this point. At least those of us with a keen and proper interest in our garments for those of you who'd like to support the podcast i do have a patreon at patreon.com slash one new supporter this week thank you glenn i appreciate your support supporting the podcast is naturally entirely optional all 135 episodes are fully available for all to enjoy so let's get down to the warp and weft of the new episode you <laughs> clamor We're off to uh, Cologne in Germany to hear more about the subcultural aspects of dressing as a gentleman from the 1920s. Welcome to another episode of Gomology, a podcast about clothes and stuff. Now today we're heading off to Germany to speak to another Nick. So this is going to be the tale of two Nicks or something like that. Uh, Niklas. Would you like to introduce yourself?
1: Well, hello. Um, Yeah, my name is Nicholas. Uh, I'm from Germany. Um, I do a couple of social media platforms, and maybe someone knows me from that. Uh, So I'm yeah interested in classic menswear and and historical menswear. Uh, I sew a lot um, and make videos about it.
0: Now I think if you mention your the Name you go under on your various platforms, a lot of people are going to nod and think, Ah, yeah, I know. Yeah, that's class. a good idea.
1: Yeah, I'm I call myself vintage bursche um, on all of those platforms. Now, I get the vintage part, but the bursche bit that's a bit cryptic. Yeah, bursche is a German term and uh, it has several meanings. So it's uh, it basically means boy, but in, in an old way, um but also like lad. And uh, maybe the most important uh, most important, uh, part is it also means uh, or um, refers to a member of a student fraternity in Germany, which I am, which is also the reason I am I'm calling myself vintage Porsche. You're going to have to explain a little bit more about that. that <laughs> about this weird. Yeah, so I mean... Um, maybe I need to just start explaining how I came into like the classic menswear and historical menswear stuff. It's a good idea. Let's go <laughs> right back to the beginning. <laughs> okay, so there are multiple plot threads, so um, I hope it doesn't get too confusing. Um, yeah, when I I think when I was fifteen, fourteen, fifteen, or something, I um, I was a, an absolute metalhead, and also did a lot of role playing, like fantasy role playing something similar to Dungeons & Dragons in Germany called Das Schwarze Auge, the dark eye. And uh, and then found uh, found out that there's something like live action role play and started that. Um, and since I was a student, I didn't have a lot of money to, I don't know, buy costumes. So uh, yeah, my, my mother showed me how the sewing machine works. And from, yeah, 15 on, I, I made clothing myself. I mean, not the not i don't know no t-shirts or or jeans or something just very basic let's say medieval fantasy style stuff like tunics and robes and stuff like that and then hobbit (laughs) well yeah yeah i mean (laughs) most of the larp scene live live action role play scene especially in germany is about um, everything, I don't know, Lord of the Rings stuff, like medieval fantasy. That's the, I think Lord of the Rings might also be the, 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 the book and uh, the movies that influenced me the most when it comes to that, but it's a mm. different story. Um, yeah, and then when I turned 19, uh, I'm also, that I mean, uh, fits right into the picture. I'm an IT guy. I was always interested in, in computers and stuff. So when I was 19, I uh, moved to Aachen in Germany to study computer science. And when I started studying, I uh, was looking for a room and then uh, found out about those like student fraternities in Aachen and I joined one. Um, yeah, and I learned academic fencing. Uh, so again, or generally like student fraternities in Germany are quite old fashioned, conservative, at least in uh, the things they do. And yeah, I, I learned academic fencing, uh, I had to, go to all the official events in a suit. And then the um, the building, the house, the student fraternity is, uh, yeah, is living in, is from the 1920s, I think. And then the fraternity itself was founded in uh, 1876. So there are a lot of pictures, old pictures of young guys in very sharp suits or, <sighs> Like, like some kind of suits, um, yeah, fraternity specific stuff. And yeah, that brought me into the realm of classic menswear, but also with this side of historical stuff. And at some point, I also turned to the more historical side in the in the LARP section, started researching, I don't know, how a medieval knight from the 13th uh, or 14th century looked like, um, started to recreate not something generally medieval fantasy but very specific sets of of clothing and and uh, and so on yeah and that merged at at some point where i uh, yeah actually started sewing classic menswear or yeah more recent historical menswear like i don't know a set of regency clothes uh, clothes including a tailcoat and that kind of stuff yeah
0: so you went from being a long haired metalhead as a early teen, but you must have that but didn't take you many years before you were then into really very standard classic menswear.
1: I mean uh, I didn't um I didn't start wearing I don't know, or I didn't start looking like uh uh, james bond kind of person when i turned 19. It, it still took me a couple of years to find my style to oh. uh to know when a suit fits right and when it's not um yeah how to i don't know build a wardrobe and that kind of stuff
0: was that unusual
1: for someone so young to be into that um i mean now since so many people follow me on instagram and actually write me uh, i don't know i'm that that they are 13 or 14 and send me pictures i do those youtube videos where i uh discuss pictures people send me i would say 19 20 or 21 is not that young but for me it was I, so i'm um yeah to be in that in that kind of uh in that kind of area wearing classic menswear or sewing classic menswear
0: do you think the internet has made a big
1: difference to that absolutely absolutely and uh, because i mean back then um, also for the for the lab stuff you had all those yeah gatekeepers <laughs> you know people that, the old people that uh wanted the, the the hobby or the the interest to be something very special and now you can basically look up everything so, uh, yeah, I think it made it a lot easier to get into that. And also, I think the the acceptance or the, the presence of subcultures. When I was in school, um, I was, I think, one of three or four metal hats in the whole school. And everybody looked at me uh, in an odd way when I, I don't know, wore my, my band shirts. And now you get, I don't know, Metallica shirts at H&M. So That's a,
0: that's a good point, yeah. And also... We've got sort of almost the subculture of the week on TikTok, so yeah. teenagers will be flip flopping from one to the other almost weekly,
1: yeah. And I think, um, uh, back then at least Tumblr was also like a big influence for those subcultures, if you know what I mean. So, uh, yeah, and there are a lot even in, in, in schools now, um, so it's a lot more accept- acceptable to. I don't know. where something that is far away from mainstream um, compared to how it was back then. I mean, uh, I have two daughters now, and uh, one of them told me that there is a boy uh, in her age, so 12, 13, uh, and he always comes to school in um, in hiking boots, a suit, and sometimes uh, with a with a with a flute, and I don't know, annoys annoys the people, and I think it's very funny and something um, I couldn't imagine uh, happening in my school time so
0: he sounds like a cool and brave kid I know from when I was at school that uh, you didn't want to look too different and I hear from my nephews now that it's not changed that much so uh, daring to be different
1: is brave absolutely
0: so your interest in vintage is that just down to the clothing or is it down to the lifestyle or where does it begin and
1: end i would say it's the clothing and maybe the furniture but uh but not a lot more so or maybe the appreciation of clothing you know more repairing and and then mending stuff instead of buying something new every time but uh I I don't know. I'm I'm happy to live nowadays when it's when it's acceptable to dress different compared to I don't know 50 years ago or something, which is also very funny because um I do it's funny which kind of people I attract with my um with my social media activity because there are a lot of people uh especially o- older people tell me telling me or yeah like cheering me for dressing like men are supposed to dress and i'm thinking eh. i mean 50 years ago i couldn't do that i would you know the, the corridor would be very narrow on how and how i could i could dress um without being i don't know bullied for it so i'm very happy to live now and on the other end i i, uh, I actually have a lot of i get a lot of messages from from trans people because um from trans men because they are they are very interested into the historical fantasy stuff and um they they love to see how you know how a man could dress in that realm and yeah i don't know how i how i can explain that further but so that's the that's the bandwidth of people that sounds I get messages from.
0: incredibly positive do you find you get feedback that isn't too positive
1: yeah mostly from from my fellow Germans because of my accent of course <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> which is very funny because every everybody outside uh, of Germany uh, loves my accent and every everybody in Germany hates it or not now that's too much but i the the um, the comments I do get about my accent are always from from other Germans um and I do sometimes, but not on my platforms. But uh, when I'm when I'm a guest uh, on on another channel, for example, I uh, do sometimes get mean comments because I still uh, even in the realm of classic menswear do dress a bit different because it's so yeah, not not even just vintage, but maybe a bit odd. <laughs> okay, tell me more about that. Yeah, well, I um, okay. That's a uh, uh, that's now it's very specific. But um, for example, I uh, went to Pitti Uomo this summer, and I got interviewed by um, by a friend from Germany called Justus Hansen, who also runs like an Instagram channel and, and a YouTube channel. But he's more on the on the classic classic menswear side. So um, and and a bit more mo- or a lot more modern than me, and a lot more mainstream. And uh, yeah, he I, th- I think he asked me, um, on f- like for a for a real something for a short video clip, what my um, what my tip would be for someone who's getting into classic menswear. And I said, look at the last hundred or hundred twenty years of classic menswear because, uh, you don't have to invent the wheel twice. There almost every style you can imagine was there, and maybe you find something that you can you know relate to and and dress like and i don't know mentioned a couple of examples and in the video i'm wearing i don't know a henley shirt um a jacket and uh high waist trousers with an amph- emphasis on the high so a very high waisted trousers <laughs> okay. so yeah so uh and 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 that uh that short video clip got comments like oh i didn't know the circus was in town or um you know <laughs> stuff like that
0: Do you get the impression the sort of, I noticed you referred to it as classic classic as we're seeing, um, has a bit of a hang up on rules and that there are a lot of people who really don't know who they are if they don't have those rules they can follow?
1: Um, Yes, and it's it's also a very German problem. So his channel is German and the people commenting were all Germans and I usually only get that problem with other Germans. We Germans, we love rules. Uh, we don't understand the rules, but we follow them. <laughs> um, so yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's a, a problem with people I, I come across very regularly here.
0: How important do you think the rules really
1: are? Not very. <laughs> um, so I mean, it's sometimes it's useful when you're really getting started, and uh, I mean the the realm of classic menswear is 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 huge you know there's so much to to discover to explore and um you know finding your own style is not always about what you want to do but maybe more of what you don't want to do What what you know if you if you know what i mean um Mm -hmm. not not even that much of finding the right pieces but just uh finding out for yourself what you really don't want to wear because it doesn't flatter you or it's uh, it's just not you and um so if you're starting out with uh, with this classic menswear stuff those real those rules are easy to remember and they um they can keep you from making the, the gravest mistakes uh when dressing and then i don't know going to a wedding for example because that's i mean that's uh some of the uh maybe one of the few few rules i i really i really think are important that you when you go to a wedding as a man in a suit you don't want to be you don't want to dress more flashy than the the groom for example yeah. something like that um yeah and there are similar rules that can make it easier to get into the realm of classic menswear without making the the, the big mistakes but um at some point you ne- you need to stop following just following the rules and but in understanding them and then i don't know try yeah i mean trying to think of uh, trying to think if the rule is makes sense for you following it or if you you know need to you, you need to find your own way at some point so i think or in summary i think they're they might be useful in the in the beginning but at some point you really need to rethink if the if those rules are are um yeah make sense i mean and there and there are a lot like no brown in town and no brown after six, and there are so many,
0: and there's so many people who keep going on about them and are so annoying
1: <laughs> absolutely
0: <laughs> <laughs> so do, do you think these rules can stand in the way of developing a personal taste
1: absolutely again, so I mean at, at some point on your personal style journey. You should start um, questioning the rules, definitely, because um, you might th- those rules might keep you from finding your personal style, because uh, this 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 kind of uh, this kind of style might be something that is not that is not covered by the rules. I don't I don't know how to put it. Um,
0: Depends when the rules are from, I suppose. I mean, a lot of these rules like no brown in town, I suppose, are very old rules. And I'm sure there are new rules for newer times as well. So maybe they don't take into consideration that uh, um, do not wear a uh, technical sports uh, outerwear jacket to a ballroom dance or something silly like that.
1: I think the biggest thing that those rules don't take into account is uh, what we talked about earlier is the, the, the subculture thing, because nowadays, or generally with clothing. So, I mean, clothing is is a basic human need, like food or shelter. And, um, but apart from just covering ourselves, clothing is also, uh, we, we use clothing to express ourselves and our association with the group. Uh, that is, I think, very basic human tribal thinking that we want to be associated with a, with a group, and uh, we have to we have to be aware of the fact that those rules were made by by a certain group, and that if you want to be associated with that group, for example, the what I what I uh, uh, named earlier, the classic classic menswear tribe. If you want to be associated with that with that tribe maybe you can you should stick to the rules because these are the kind of people that will I don't know uh, criticize you for I don't know wearing brown in town or uh, brown shoes to a wedding or I don't know not a morning dress to a wedding or something like that um, but if you if you're more into the for example let's say vintage menswear uh, area those people usually don't Give a lot about those rules, but more, I don't know how uh, how your color color palette is, how good it um, fits you, and something like that. So those rules are, I think they are like depending on the tribe you want to be associated with. So the the style journey or or finding your personal style is uh, the, a big part of that. Is finding your tribe basically. Do you want to be in the classic, classic menswear tribe? Do you want to be in the vintage menswear tribe? Do you want to be in the, on the historical side of things? Are you more a sprezzatura guy? Or I don't know. There's so much, <laughs> if you know what I mean. It, it does get awfully complicated. Yeah. Um,
0: but you're mainly a sort of 1920s guy, I think. What sort of subcultures were there in the 1920s? Or does that all
1: get lumped together in one? I mean, coming from from nowadays, I would say... Being interested in the 1920s is also is already a kind of tribe, because there is a, a subculture. There are Facebook groups on 1920s menswear, and, and that kind of stuff. I personally, I uh, when I start when I came from classic classic menswear and went into the vintage side of things, uh, my first poi my first touch point was the 1920s because. Um, I don't know if a couple of years ago you had Peaky Blinders and in Germany you had Babylon Berlin, um, and a couple of other like don't Abbey TV shows, a big 1920s hype that is still going on, I'd say. But, uh, at some point I, for example, um, experienced that I am very much in love with my beard <laughs> and <laughs> such a beard is not very, you know, uh, it's, it, it wouldn't fit into the 1920s so uh i uh, yeah I, I did a lot of more a lot of digging um, on which decade fits my aesthetic maybe even more and also works with my beard and nowadays I would say I'm more into the 1900s or 1920 nineteen uh, tens yeah
0: so really as you get older and the decades move on you're moving further and further back in
1: time. <laughs> I think I found my place now, but I, you know, never say never. Uh, And and that's, for example, is also something um, that I I would call a subculture, like the Victorian Edwardian era. Uh, And there is actually um, on Instagram a term called Victorian, like, you know, a measure of Victorian and Edwardian for the time around 1900. And the people that like to dress in that uh, in that kind of style. It's interesting, though, that we do
0: keep evolving over time because you might have been still stuck as your 16-year-old metalhead in your band shirt. And, and a lot of people are st- stuck in the sort of style or subculture that they were as a teenager. But then some of us are constantly moving around.
1: Absolutely. and um, And the funny thing is, even though I I moved on, for example, in the Victorian bubble, let's say let's call it that, I do uh, find a lot of people that all, that also like were in some kind of alternative subculture before that, not not neces uh, not necessarily metal, but I don't know goth or punk mm-hmm. or something like that. So. I don't. I haven't found the connection why so many people coming from alternative subcultures are now interested in in, in historical and classic wear, but it, because it's also the ladies. Um, but yeah, I the uh, the amount of people I um, I met over over the last few years doing vintage or historical menswear, a lot of them are metalheads or. Uh, f- like more or less former gothics or something like that so it's funny sometimes i guess there are various
0: ways they could be connected i mean one is the music the elements the fantasy element of the music and then you have the the visual styles so it would be easy to go from metal to goth to steampunk to vintage i guess true so um um those of us who um who are synth poppers in the eighties um, uh, haven't really <laughs> had that same development
1: <laughs> and maybe it's also being um comfortable with wearing something that is not mainstream I, th- I at least i think i yeah I think uh it helped me a lot being comfortable comfortable you know living outside the mainstream yeah.
0: That's but, because there's a point to being just daring to being different, or having the fact that you are looking different be a part of yourself. Yeah. So, in your daily life, I mean, you're not always sitting sewing on Twitch or making YouTube videos. Are you sort of twenty four seven vintage Nicholas?
1: So, what I'm what I'm wearing right now uh, is a dark flannel shirt braces and corduroy trousers and that's basically my everyday to go look <laughs> um it still is or might might be a bit different from mainstream but it's not that far from it like when i'm wearing i don't know my frock coat or, or something like that or or a, or a top hat or something so i do still have um basically everyday workwear let's let's call it that uh, even though i'm I do work in it. So, and, and I'm working from home almost hundred percent. So <laughs> people wouldn't care. And I do have my, my, my morning gown and, and so on when I'm, uh, when I'm getting, when I'm getting up and, and, and so on. But yeah, my, my go-to style for every day is basically a dark flannel shirt, braces and high-waisted corduroy trousers. That sounds
0: very really familiar.
1: When is it? At what times is it? You
0: you express your vintage self. Do you go to sort of cosplay, larping events at the weekends, or do you wear your top hat to go shopping? Do um, you saddle up your horse and uh, put on your armor. <laughs> I don't know.
1: I'm just <laughs> uh, think out yeah. loud. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I mean, the 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 really old stuff, like from let's say before eighteen ninety or something. Um, or medieval armor and I have one in my basement. Uh, I do reserve uh, these kinds of outfits for the, the those events, those special events like um, like a larping tournament or something that's that's the the time when I'm wearing the armor. but um, everything else depends really depends on the company. So um, if I'm meeting someone who is not into I don't know men'swear or something like that at all, um, I'm staying in my flannel shirt, braces, and corduroy trousers. Uh, but um, as soon as I'm meeting with with someone who also dresses up a bit at least, I tend to start wearing a suit. Or um, and when I'm when I'm saying a suit, I mean something historical because uh, since since all those all those lockdowns due to COVID, I um, yeah my wardrobe changed a bit because. Uh, beforehand, I I went to the I went to the office every day in a suit, and I yeah I was really much into um, uh, yeah very much into classic menswear, but I didn't want to uh, attract too much attention mm. at work. So I had a, still a couple of suits that are either modern or um, so subtle that they don't attract too much attention, even though they are I don't know something from the 1920s. And since I don't have to go to the office anymore, I only have one modern suit left, which is reserved for weddings, because, you know, you don't want to attract too much attention at a wedding. Uh, But everything else is something historical, something vintage, uh, um, a ready to wear historical reproduction or something I made myself.
0: Now, I wanted to ask you a bit about how we're going to get into the actual clothes sides of things um finding actual vintage clothes from say 100 to 150 years ago that must be impossible
1: yeah i agree um and i'm very very selective with what i what i wear because even though it's historical and and that's difficult for itself i'm still very selective when it comes to fit and so the the only two you know big items i have Vintage items I have um, are a frock coat from the nineteen tens, France, probably. I found in a uh, in a kilo store here in oh. Cologne. Uh, and the funny thing is, it's I, so I'm a I'm a rather th- thin guy and I have very long arms. So when I'm when I'm buying a suit, it's usually too wide and the sleeves are too short. And okay. this frock coat fits perfectly. I didn't have to change anything. Wow. So that was. Uh, a revelation and the second thing is uh i think i went to london last year in in october or something and maybe you know um what's it called hornets yeah in kensington Yeah, yeah in kensington the the vintage store and i um and i found a tailcoat from the 1920s that fits perfectly except the sleeves i had to um pull some of the seam allowance out so the the sleeves are long enough but um, yeah, except that it's, it fits me perfectly. And those are basically the, the only two real, true vintage items I have in my wardrobe. Everything else is um, either a bespoke reproduction, a ready-to-wear reproduction, or something I made myself, which is also some kind of, I don't know, bespoke reproduction.
0: Yeah, that was a bit of a luck finding it at a kilo sale. I was sort of <laughs> they were just
1: full of junk, really. Yeah, we do have a, um, we do have a kilo, like a fixed kilo storing cologne called pick and wait. Um, And it, it sounds like there are heaps of clothing, but they do have, they, they, everything sits on a hanger and so on. So, um, and it also did cost me, I think 90 euros or something, but for a 1910s coat that fits me perfectly, that was money well spent. So, oh
0: yeah. Oh yeah.
1: So you did start
0: out then many many years back uh making your own clothes and this is something you have been continuing with so much so that you have made a book.
1: Yes. <laughs> yeah, true. Yeah, that, um, so there is a, I have to take t- take a step step back. So there is a um a party in in Cologne and Berlin and and so on called Boheme Sauvage they, and the theme is 1920s. And over the yeah over um, the party, I met Sebastian Sebastian, who is a bespoke tailor here in Cologne, and we found out that we both both have a huge passion for the 1920s, especially the early 20s. A J C JC which is also uh, which was also German, Josef Christian Leyendecker, who illustrated a lot of the even, Saturday Evening Posts and uh, made a lot of illustrations for Kuppenheimer. A uh, US clothing brand, menswear, cl- classic menswear brand. And, uh, and then we, we talked about, uh, hobby tailoring because, um, we both, even he came from tailoring or sewing as a hobby. And then we, uh, we realized there is, there are a lot of books about classic ladies wear, mm. especially for that time, but none for the men. And then we said to ourselves, maybe we should do, we should make one. And uh, yeah, since Sebastian also has not not only has a lot of experience in that field, he also has a huge collection of uh, magazines from that time, and uh, a couple of tailoring books. Yeah, and then we started working through those books, making the the patterns, the the tutorials, everything. I mean, we we self published the book, so. Um, it was a lot of work, but we are very, very really proud of what we what we made.
0: What sort of items of clothing can you make based on the
1: book? Um, so, the the book is called Sewing Vintage Menswear, but it's focused on 1920 because we are we based all the patterns on a 1920 German tailoring book, and. Basically, everything's in there except jackets or or coats or something, because making a coat or making a jacket is a science for itself. So, what you find in there is trousers, um, fishtail trousers, uh, uh, knickerbockers, uh, a shirt, several different, yeah, several types of waistcoats, uh, spats, um, collars, um, a, a morning gown, something like that. Basically, uh, the sort of startup kit for a vintage lad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you could you could call it that. I mean, we we don't recommend the book to absolute beginners because you should bring some kind of sewing experience uh, to the table. Because I mean, making for example a, a dressing gown, it, you have to uh, work a lot with the with the um, the steam iron and something uh, something like that. But uh, as soon as yeah, as soon as you have like some experience with the sewing machine, you can you can, can do things from the book. Yes, and that's yeah, as you said, it's basically it's a starter kit for someone getting into the yeah the vintage side of menswear.
0: What has the response been like?
1: Oh very very good i mean we started the whole project with a crowdfunding and uh we collected more money than we needed (laughs) in in one month so uh that was already a good start and we printed i think a thousand copies and after two and a half years they were gone and uh two or three months ago we finally managed to print an english version which is also halfway gone now. <laughs> I mean, we just printed 500 copies, but yeah, it's uh, it's half halfway gone now. So yeah, it's it's absolutely uh, brilliant uh, how it went. I mean, we have do we do have some constraints because we self published it, so we uh, um, we need to think of you know the size of an edition, and we will probably not re- reprint the German version and probably not reprint the English version. But uh, we we couldn't ask for more because, I mean, everybody buying the book um, found out about the book via me or via Sebastian. So no bookstores, no big publisher or something. And, uh, yeah, we're really proud of selling so many copies of a, of a self-made book.
0: I'm very surprised you've not been picked up by a major publisher
1: yeah, well, we we talked to a, um, a bigger publisher when we wrote the book, but uh, the problem is that we that you do give away a lot of control. And um, what we did for uh, with the book is we we are also including two big um, pattern sheets, like I think a hundred uh, and fifty times eighty centimeter big pattern sheets, really really big ones. Yeah, and that makes, makes it very difficult for, or more difficult for publishers. And, uh, yeah, keeping, keeping everything under control and the price low enough for the people interested in, uh, in the book. Yeah. Made us do it, uh, like that, like self publishing it, because usually when you have a a similar book, uh, in the, I don't know made published by by a big publisher you pay i don't know twice the the amount and we didn't want that so yeah we we just did it ourselves
0: there is a certain coolness also to keeping it
1: underground and away (laughs) from mainstream i guess i mean it's it's also like a a trade-off i think because uh, having your book laying around uh, a book store around the corner is is kind of an ego boost Mm. Yeah. Which we have not, <laughs> um, but um, yeah, again, we, we we couldn't ask for more because we we did a we, we printed a lot of copies and they're all gone, and everybody's happy, so we are happy. So now you will be doing a follow up. Fun. Uh, so th- will there be a follow up? Will there be a, a number two? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. So Sebastian is working on a book about jackets because since there are no jackets in the first book, we. Regularly get asked um, about jackets, uh, but that's something I can't really support him with because that's he, that's something he um, well he, he needs to make a yeah make a lot of photos while he's making a jacket in his um, in his workshop for 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 a client for example and cover all the options because that's the that's the problem with the book about jacket making you there are so many options on how to make a jacket. So uh yeah that's I mean he he wants to do it and I think he will do it at some point but it uh, it will take some time. Um I on the other hand I'm thinking of something more beginner friendly because that's the other the other side I do have a lot of man asking if the book is beginner friendly and it's not. So I'm incli- I'm inclined to start something that is more yeah a, a better book or, um, yeah, something someone can start with who has never used a sewing machine or never um, used yeah used a sewing needle or something. Uh, because, yeah, sewing and tailoring, sadly, is a hobby that is, v- yeah, not very popular among men. A lot more popular bu- among women, but not that popular among women. That so, is uh, true. I do
0: think that more men have taken it up, though. Um, but not to such a degree as as women. I mean, programs like the Great Great British Sewing Bee and so forth have done wonders for home sewing. Um, so I think it has. There has been a bit of a resurgence in in sewing. I'm not sure I'd make a, a book that was too easy, though. But in the same way, I think making tailored jackets is rather
1: a professional kind of thing to do. Yeah, making a jacket is definitely the end of the road on on the sewing journey, if you know what I mean. So, yeah. I mean, th- th- that's also something that was very, very useful for, for me, because I would say I'm v- a very impatient person. And <laughs> starting with the medieval fantasy stuff, those medieval tunics was good for me because they're so easy mm. and you can do it, do them in half a day or something. Um, that what that uh, that that's important for the um, I don't know how having a result a good an an acceptable result in a short amount of time that's really important for me to I don't know keep to a hobby or something because if you if it's too too much frustration you you don't want to do it anymore
0: yeah I think there's a, a lot of truth in that something I find difficult when I'm Wanting to sew stuff, is finding good fabrics. Is there, uh, how do you go about finding
1: fabrics suitable for vintage garments? Um, I'm. I did start like a, so, a short list of sources where you can buy acceptable fabrics from, especially f- um, without breaking the bank. Because I c- I could go to a fabric shop around the corner, or well, somewhere in Cologne, let's say that 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 has. Um, good enough fabrics but they cost a fortune um so what i usually do is i buy in the uk because i don't know it's it seems easier for me or generally easier to find uh, proper flannels proper tweeds shirting fabrics in the uk than in, in germany mm. <laughs> which is really funny but i mean it, it's that is how it is
0: so would that imply that the fabric or textile industry is
1: stronger in the UK than elsewhere in Europe depends on what kind of fabric you are looking for i mean i do or well, we do have several fabric stores in cologne and if if i was a mum i don't know sewing something for my uh, for my toddler i would be happy with the, what the stores in cologne have in in um in the shop. But as, as soon as I go into the more historical side, it gets more and more difficult. I, I still know a couple of shops that, for example, offer just, um, I don't know, thick woolen fabrics that work for a medieval tunic. But as, as soon as I want something striped or checked or some you know something that fits my aesthetic, um, a proper tweed, for example. I don't know where to buy proper tweets in Germany. I don't, at least um, I don't know a shop that has a, a good selection, maybe one or two at some point. But um, yeah, the, the the good shops for that kind of stuff are I think in the in the UK. Would it be fair to
0: say that a lot of um, the sort of classic, classic menswear, I'm thinking several row type suits and so forth maybe haven't moved on that far from the 1920s sort of fabric wise that uh, probably construction wise as well maybe
1: mm, i mean i can only uh talk about what i've seen uh, on the streets in germany but i think most suits sold in germany nowadays are i don't know s 120 160 or something very thin business suits and that's not exactly what you what you see in the 1920s you have uh suit fabrics that a lot that are a lot thicker uh, almost always a three-piece because heating wasn't that good and so on so um yeah and for example i i a while ago i did a i made a um, like a peaky blinders kind of suit like a 1910s style suit uh from a from a woolen fabric that nowadays would be used for a for a over for an overcoat not for a suit
0: Ooh.
1: you know that's i think that's the that's the thing so um yeah this usually or most of the suits sold nowadays uh, are made of a fabric that is a lot thinner than than back then and thinner fabric also means that they uh um get damaged far more easily
0: yeah i think uh, i think in my experience also vintage old suits were made from much sturdier fabrics but con- construction wise uh what what's that like compared to to modern
1: i don't know when um, when the industry started to fuse uh can- the canvas but that's also something that is uh i think a lot sturdier back then so i don't know before before the Second World War, for example, or before the 1950s, almost every uh, jacket canvas was was uh, hand-stitched, which makes it also a lot more durable um, than the, the fused canvases you have in modern suits. Um, I mean, there, there are a lot of, like, details uh, on how how suits in the 20s for example were made differently from from suits uh, nowadays for example the shoulder seam goes to the back which is uh, easier when when doing a fitting mm, and i mean most suits nowadays are um ready to wear suits i think and i think you have a breaking point in the 1910s or 1920s where be- so before that point most of the suits were made in a tailoring shop. And after that, most of the suits, uh, were made ready to wear in a, fa- in, a in, you know, um, yeah, mass produced, let's say yeah. that. Yeah. And that of course that influences on how the garments are made because when you mass produce suits, you want to keep every step of the process as short as possible, as easy as possible. So. Uh, that also, yeah, influences on how a jacket is made. That you, you use the def- the fused canvases. Um, that you do a, an easier construction, and and that kind of stuff. And that all that also leads to uh, that that all leads to a product that is not as durable as as a suit or jacket or trouser that uh, was made in the 20s or 10s or whatever.
0: Yeah. I guess they also left in features so that you could expand the waist of trousers, and they were easier to repair. Um, uh, I mean, sewing machines have been around almost forever, but they have also stayed pretty much the same forever. But even back then, I imagine there was more hand stitching and handwork.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, but I'm, I mean, I think the the, the or the, the stitching itself. Was mostly replaced by by fused things, you know the the waistband in the trousers nowadays is usually fused, not sewn in, which also also leads to um, trousers coming apart uh, earlier than than uh, the like vintage trousers and, and that kind of stuff. And you do have a lot more handwork. So if when I have a look at the uh, at the back of the lapel of my frock coat, for example, my 1910s 19, 19 frock coat, you cannot see the the hand stitches because the canvas is stitched into the onto the fabric and not fused. That's and that's really cool because that's the the, the pet stitching. That is something you can. I mean, you there are machines now that can do pet stitching, but um, uh, usually pet stitching means handwork. At least back then, so you c- can't even use the use a sewing machine, and that's really cool.
0: I have to ask, what's it feel <laughs> like to to hold and study and wear a garment that's one hundred and ten years old?
1: Well, I you are more careful than uh, I don't know with something. Um, or I am more careful with my frock coat uh, than I am with something I made myself or something that uh, is a modern reproduction. Of of something old, of course, because um, I mean, for for the outer fabric, usually the condition is is uh, is acceptable, and thick wool is very durable, very sturdy. But uh, the um, the first problems you usually get is with the lining, because in the I don't know up into the twenties, you actually use silk lining, and uh, silk is coming apart a lot easier than than wool is so yeah of course when i'm also when i'm wearing my tail coat i don't go uh, i don't don't go binge drinking you know
0: <laughs> i was about to ask what do you wear for that but uh... <laughs> um, i mean the, the guy who originally wore the frock coat must have been kind of like you though same <laughs> height uh, same length of arms skinny guy do you feel a sort of emotional connection back through time
1: I actually haven't thought about it, but you, of course, you're right. He had to have the yeah the same constitution that I have, but um, no. And I, the thing is, I um, I try to regionally pinpoint where the you know where the frock coat came from, and uh, saw on the inside uh, on the backside of the buttons that there's something French on there, so he probably. A French guy, but no, I don't. Actually, I don't feel any connection to the former wearer. I'm, I'm still very curious on how the the frock coat came to that kilo store, but uh, yeah, no, I, I, I don't. Uh, I, I have never wondered who wore the frock coat before me. Oh, I was kind of hoping you'd have this uh,
0: research story there,
1: and you could sort of, yeah,
0: but yeah, I'm my... sorry, no. <laughs> Oh, there you go. Now we have to talk a bit about your social media empire. <laughs>
1: empire.
0: Let's call it what it is. Uh, I mean, clearly you had this interest. Did you have the interest before you started that, or did the interest come from online activities? Or how did all that come about?
1: Yeah. So um, I mean, we talked about uh, my my mental health self at. Uh, the age of fifteen and then my uh, fraternity self at the age of nineteen and then at some point I developed a remote sense of style and i think uh, when i i have to, i would have to calculate uh, i think i was in my uh, in my thirties when my uh, actually my father died and my father had a a huge passion for um for photography he even worked at a company um actually like uh maintaining x-ray machines but they also had a huge um, basically a, a sub company of konica konica minolta Jap- uh, those are two japanese cam- um, companies that merged later on and uh, the the photo photo segment of konica minolta was then sold to sony so yeah he had a lot of uh, a lot of cam- cameras and also at least when i was young developed the, the films himself and when he died he I, I basically inherited cameras proper ca- cameras and I always thought about getting one because I'm in a, I'm in IT I love tech gadgets mm. but I thought you know that's kind of a big investment and uh, maybe I'm not that interested into photography and then that would sit in the I don't know in the cupboard and uh, catch dust so I didn't by a proper camera, but then I inherited one. And when you have a, a hammer in your hand, everything looks like a nail. So I, um, yeah, I thought about, I I, uh, I don't know, try to find things to do photos of. And what I did was I went, uh, went to my LARP events, t- took a lot of photos there, and I took photos of the, the clothing I had. Not in the beginning, not even with me in it. Just the clothing, or like um, collar pins, uh, cufflinks. You know that kind of things I collected over the over the years, and uh, uploaded them on a uh, on a Facebook page. And then people started asking me, "What is that? How do you wear that? Where does that? Where where does it come from?" And then I, you know, started answering all those questions. um, Made. You know, uh, a proper Facebook page for all the photos called Vintage Porsche, um, and then from the Facebook page, I started the blog, talking about writing about all those vintage things, like again collar pins, cufflinks, certain kinds of like the um it called, the Piccadilly collar, for example. What you need when you have like a collar bar, uh, and you know, explaining where it comes from, how to how to use it, and Sometimes, even where to buy it if there are modern reproductions of those uh, things, and uh, yeah, from the blog, I created an Instagram profile and I think three years ago of three four years ago, something around uh, that time I started the YouTube channel, yeah making doing the same thing and at some point I also um you know showed on Instagram and YouTube when I when i'm when I'm sewing or tailoring because that's the, that's the na- next big thing. Because when you're talking about vintage menswear um, and a good fit of a suit on the um, at the same time, as we mentioned, uh, as we said earlier, it's really difficult to find vintage pieces that really fit you. And um, it's maybe, or for me, it's a lot easier to just make them myself according to an old pattern and um, that's also—it's more me because I'm again I'm I'm in IT. I, I like to understand how things work, how things are constructed, and I'm—I don't know. I have I have more fun in making a suit than finding a vintage one that fit that fits me.
0: And this has all become rather popular, hasn't it?
1: Um, well, don't I mean, be it's, it's, don't be humble. Don't be humble. speak the truth now (laughs) i mean uh my my instagram profile got really popular because um what i what i did and i um i started that only this year is uh presenting all that all those topics in a very funny way so i did a basically some reenactments of classic classical art memes if you know what i mean so there are a lot of memes uh where you have like an old painting and then you, you, um, people added captions to the to the to the painting that makes it funny. Okay, clever. and I yeah. basically reenacted those uh, memes. Um, then I have some reels about I don't know, uh, just dressing up or showing my wardrobe or um, I don't know reels, for, yeah, short clips from uh, P T Womo, for example. Uh, yeah, and that that really took off. So, um, yeah, now I have a uh, lot more followers than I had a half a year ago. And
0: no time at all for your family.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Do you, you find yeah, this all
0: eats into the rest of your life?
1: Sometimes I, I wonder uh, how I manage this <laughs> um, because it really it's a lot of time I'm, I'm spending on my social media platforms. But on the other hand, let's take Instagram, for example. I haven't made a post in, I don't know, three or four months because that's that's how it is. Sometimes I have the energy to, uh, even after I finished work, uh, after I, I don't know, put my, my daughters to bed, still have the energy to make a video, like record something, edit it and so on. And sometimes I don't for months. Um, but the good thing is, I do have a, a regular job, so I, I'm not relying on any uh, on any income from from YouTube or Instagram or uh, something like that. And I mean, Instagram doesn't earn me a thing usually. Hmm. Uh, but that's cool, and I think people appreciate the fact that I don't do a lot of um, ads on my channels, and that I I don't know that I just do what I what I like to do, not because um i have the necessity to earn money with it just because i like sewing like tailoring like uh i i think i don't know i yeah i i I like memes that kind of stuff
0: yeah i mean you're just touching on the the huge problem here of how to be authentic uh, versus making money which is where the sort of influencer thing has a problem but as you're not dependent on earning money from what you're doing, you can be authentic and people see that for what it is.
1: I hope so. I mean, it would be, of course it's, all, and um, I, I think you can relate to that. Of course it would be nice to uh, at least earn a few bucks with, I don't know, a podcast or, or, or an Instagram channel just to cover expenses. Let's say that because me for example i do travel to florence uh, at least once a year to meet with everyone to make a video a youtube video about uh, the people at pity Woman, because it's it's interesting to see and uh, it's cool if you can at least cover your expenses for that for you know the technical gear you're buying to make everything happen maybe the f- subscriptions for i don't know adobe or you know, because you you do need um, some things to make it happen, to make a podcast happen, to make a YouTube channel happen, or um, to make um, an Instagram channel happen.
0: Yeah, that's very true. I can reveal confidently that uh, you don't make money on podcasts either, <laughs> unless you sell your soul for advertising yeah. and so forth. Um, you did mention, I think maybe before we started, that part of what you do on YouTube is people sending in their... Outfit
1: photos, yep. and you I, uh,
0: critique them. You yeah, I haven't
1: that? done yeah, I haven't done a video like that for quite a while because um, I think at, at some point my my following got too big, and I thought, well, I I would have to select you know the the photos. I mean, I I, th- I want to do another video, but um, it's hard for me to I don't know just pick out a few of those uh, submissions because for the last, I don't I think I, th- I made five or four, uh, f- four or five of those videos. And I, I, uh, I covered everyone. Everybody that uh, sent in a photo was mentioned in the video. And part of me still wants to do that, but I, I think I'm at a point I can't because the video would be too long or I wouldn't be able to um, properly uh, give proper advice. To everyone in the video if you know what i mean
0: when you were doing them what was the quality like of the
1: people sending their photos in so usually they were a lot younger than me when i started getting into classic or vintage menswear and uh, even though they were younger <laughs> their outfits were much better than mine let's say that so uh, i i got submissions from from 18 years old 18 year olds that, um, I don't know, that, that I just envied still that I, uh, you know, that I think people that found their style already, I had people that I, I couldn't even critique at, 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 any point. Um, and then of course there are, um, some, some people that, uh, are at the stage I was and when I was, I don't know, 19, 18, 19 or something. Um, but generally, I think the quality is very, very high. I'm, I'm really surprised um, on how much time and, and effort those people have put into their outfits when they're sending me a photo. They
0: could also be time travelers.
1: Maybe, yeah, maybe.
0: It's interesting though, isn't it? Because do you think the young have more time to spend on their subcultures, a more dedication, a more fanatic mind?
1: I mean, first, I think, and we, I think we, we talked about that uh, earlier already, that the internet makes certain uh, certain things easier than uh, it was, I don't know, 10 or 20 years ago. Finding um, certain pieces, um I don't know researching on how you would look like when you i don't know were a time traveler from the 1910s or something uh that's i think it's a lot easier than 20 years ago and this uh, the second thing is not everybody that is in that is into classic or vintage menswear sends me a photo you know you you do have to have a certain kind of courage and uh, a certain kind of confidence to send a photo of yourself to someone, some random guy on the internet, to be uh, critiqued publicly. So I think there is already a, s- a certain kind of selection when I look at photos <laughs> people send me, if you know what I mean. Yeah.
0: I don't know what uh, what sort of views you get on, uh, on your YouTube channel now, but uh, of course, yeah, <laughs> sending in something which was really awful and then you rip it to shreds <laughs> and the whole world is watching that would take a certain kind of confidence yeah.
1: yeah i mean i i would say i'm very constructive in how i criticize i wouldn't even or i don't even call it criticizing but like discussing the oh. videos are called discussing your outfits and yeah. uh yeah i i also try to uh mention when it's my personal opinion in terms of Uh, I personally wouldn't do that or wouldn't wear that or, you know, would think about uh, uh, wearing it the next time or something like that, because um, it is still a question of personal taste, you know. And I am, for example, not a member of the classic, classic menswear uh, tribe, so I don't, I mean, if someone would send me a photo of him, like, looking like uh, Daniel Craig in James Bond, I would probably say, do do you do you? But I wouldn't recommend uh, wearing that. I don't know skinny skinny fit suit. Yeah,
0: I, I guess the sort of savage comments come in the in the comment
1: field <laughs> under the video afterwards. Uh, surprisingly, not. So my comment section is very well behaved. I I. I mean, I mentioned those mean comments earlier, but they were on another channel. My comment section, the, the people that, are, that watch me, uh, usually are very well-behaved. I uh, re- really rarely receive any, anything mean, even con- uh, considering, I don't know, that I show outfits of other people. Uh, even the comments under those videos are very, um, very kind. That's,
0: that's wonderful. Surprising, yeah. but wonderful.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm also, I'm uh, always, yeah, well, it's, I'm actually, when I, when I look into my comment section, I'm not surprised on how kind those comments are, but I'm surprised when I look at other comment sections on how mean people can be. Mm. Um, but thinking about it, I'm, I'm also very proud of the community I, you know, I built because they are so, yeah, well-behaved and kind to one another. Do you worry
0: at all about uh, putting yourself out there to such a degree? About the sort of feedback you could get, or have you sort of slowly built up and you're just being supported?
1: Um, I mean, sometimes I uh, I am considering doing v- doing videos about other topics, like more I don't know things about society, because um, even when you're coming from the the clothing area. That has so much influence on, uh, yeah, our tribal thinking and how we work as a society. And uh, actually, I would love to do more videos about that. But then it gets, at some point, it gets political. And I don't want anyone, I mean, everything is political. But if you do, do make a political statement in a video, you're uh, a lot more, um prone to get really mean comments uh, of people that I don't know don't watch your videos because they're interested in the area or, or they um, that are that want to understand what you're saying but just I don't know get triggered by some some words or something and just be mean and uh, I don't know basically hate watch you put something mean in the comments and yeah I uh, I don't want that.
0: I guess at some point you might sort of risk lose, losing half your following
1: if because they go that way or whatever. I mean that's yeah that's something else that's also something of course um you 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 don't want to you don't really want but that's not uh, that's not what I meant. So I don't I don't I'm not afraid of I don't know losing viewers because I share different political views. Um it's just people um as as soon as you're doing like certain topics on youtube on the platform your uh, your video is shown to users that don't follow you and that uh are not interested in you know getting into a topic or something but just watch your video uh and i don't know put something mean in the comments it's really it's really interesting sometimes i, I, I mean i still get comments mean comments um from time to time especially on videos that perform really well because again the the youtube algorithm when you're when when you're when you made a video that is very popular at some point the the algorithm shows it to people that don't follow your channel that might it might be interested in something completely different they don't want to see anything about classic menswear or um you know clothing clothing philosophy or something and they watch your video and yeah think probably (laughs) think what's what's that clown talking about and yeah they put that <laughs> in the comment section and that's the reason i don't want to uh, do something outside of my you know my my current yeah. uh topic yeah. area in which is basically yeah, classic or vintage menswear and tailoring
0: there has been a lot of talk about how the youtube algorithm radicalizes people that within yeah. a few steps you can be way down some rabbit hole i can just see hordes of people being radicalized into 1920s <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, but, wouldn't yeah. be the worst i wouldn't thing. mind <laughs> i wouldn't
0: mind it might set the world uh, on a better course i wanted to ask you about this i i, I keep seeing this um um was it vintage uh, style not vintage values yes something like that what do you think about that
1: um, I think it's that's a um, a saying that was coined by Dandy Wellington if you know him by any chance from Instagram yes yeah um, I think he's also uh, featured in one of the um, I, am uh, dandy. I am dandy yeah and that yeah that's exactly be because funny. I saw you you had uh, Nettie on uh, yeah um, on the podcast yeah so I think he he coined the the saying and um, I absolutely agree, because as I said earlier, I'm really much, uh, very much into the, 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 the wear, the, the clothing, and the f- maybe the furniture, the style um, of bygone eras. Maybe even the, the, the way we treat our clothing, repairing and mending it instead of throwing it away and buying something new every time. But that's that's it. I I'm very happy to live now and not 100 years ago and um I don't uh yeah well I I try to uh every time someone um on in the Instagram post or a YouTube channel says something like ah finally a man that dresses like a man to to correct that because that's a vintage value you know that there that there's something like proper clothing for men. I don't I don't think there is Proper clothing for men. I mean, we call it menswear, but only because it historically developed to be what men wear, but not uh, because men have to necessarily wear that or women are not allowed to wear it. That's you know. So that that's what I that's what I uh, would associate with the term vintage values, even when you're sticking to the to the uh, clothing realm.
0: I guess in the 1920s the sort of man who would be wearing the type of suits you like would have been a wealthy important powerful person and maybe that's the
1: sort of men they think are real men maybe um and the thing that the funny thing is that as long as i uh i don't know keep or Wear something that they associate that they personally associate with something um, they would like to wear everything's fine that's that's how a man is supposed to dress the the cool thing is uh, thanks to larp I also have um, outfits that are even uh further down the the history lane so I do have uh, the um, for example the clothing that that a knight that a fourteenth century knight would wear and that means Yeah, medieval hose that are so so tight they look like like um what's it called? Like um uh what's the movie called? Robin Hood and Men in Tights. Yeah, (laughs) like tights. So I have like I have medieval hose that look basically look like tights. And um which
0: is a good look on a tall, skinny man.
1: Yeah, still, but but still from a from a modern perspective, not very manly, if you know what I mean. <laughs>
0: that was my point, kind
1: of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, and that, that the thing is, so if you if you say that men dressed like men back in the day, I my question would be, what is back in the day? Is it fifty years ago? Is it hundred years ago? Is it five hundred years ago? It's very, um, it's arbitrary to say that I don't know, fifty years ago, that's how a man should look like, and. Uh, as soon as you add, I don't know, a top hat, it's too costumey. or adding a bowler. In Germany, people that that, uh, say something like that, um, that uh, uh, speaking of the good old days, they can't even stand a bowler or um, or a top hat because they were not used to wear a top hat or a bowler uh, at all. So it's a fine line for those people between um, good old days and costumes. And it's, this line is, is arbitrary. So, um, yeah. I
0: think part of it is the fetishism of a man in a power suit, <laughs> um, which is sort of a real man. But yeah. I think it's fair to say that what you're into is really much more about the fun side of clothes.
1: Absolutely. And uh, another or another example of uh, something that is, that is um, not seen as, a very manly outfit would be the the regency uh set i i did a while ago because again you have very tight pants and so on or i mean when you g- generally look at history uh on the wigs that men wore on the the high heels uh the tight the tight pants the short um in german it's hair i don't know uh, the term in in, um, in english yeah never mind there are a lot of examples in history that look very um, feminine from a modern perspective, Yeah, but were very manly at the time. So,
0: But I think it was also then about dressing up in ways that showed how wealthy you were, not True. necessarily how masculine and powerful, because that was more for the... The soldiers and so forth but if you were wealthy and you could just lie around all day not doing much at all then you had certain colors and certain fabrics used
1: true but still the, the the silhouettes are you know the the yeah the fashion of silhouettes is more or less independent from your social status so everybody is aspiring even the um I don't know medieval peasant would wear something that is so, something close to to tights because it is tight pants tight tight split pants so uh, I mean you're right especially when it comes to the colors we now associate with uh, with women like purple or um, or pink or something that is something uh, th- those colors were uh used to show your wealth because they you need or they're they're really expensive to to dye a fabric in but um yeah, yeah i think uh i think we lost <laughs> we, we lost the threat <laughs>
0: <laughs> never mind i would like to ask you i mean what what are you up to right at the moment what is it, what are you most excited about doing at the moment now um social media wise or
1: <laughs> i'll let you pick and choose Okay. Um, so f- social media wise, I'm, I'm working on a, um, on a Christmas calendar. Okay. Well, yeah. Uh, um, but
0: Advent calendar. Advent
1: like. calendar. Yeah. Uh, but for my German channel, because I now, because I have so much spare time, obviously, uh, <laughs> I, I created a second YouTube channel in German. Um, and uh yeah I, right now i'm preparing 24 videos for that advent calendar which is uh a lot <laughs> um and i'm really really keen to see if people um think the videos are good or, or not and then of course i have i have a long a very long list of ideas i want to uh, uh turn into videos or or short clips for instagram um and uh, yeah and, and then I'm preparing for pittiuomo in January, which also means thinking of outfits beforehand and maybe sewing sewing something just for the occasion uh last year, for example, I uh I made a velvet smoking jacket just for the first evening of the pituomo week because there was a black tie event and um I thought I could... I could go in my tailcoat, but then that would be quite a lot because n- nobody would, would wear a tailcoat at the event. So, I, yeah, I, I, um, I wanted, instantly wanted a, a velvet smoking jacket, so I made one. And um, yeah, right now I'm thinking of, about the, uh, the outfits for, for January and maybe, probably, um, there will be a sewing project coming out of that thinking process. process.
0: Right. I always want to go to Pity. I've never been there, but I can never I've never prepared. So every time January rolls by and I see people going to Pity,
1: I think, "Damn, again." <laughs> yeah, maybe you should also prepare now. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. Look but
1: for th- Air- Airbnbs for the week um and I think they're relatively cheap now. I mean France is a is a is an expensive city for Italy, but um right now they are, you know, affordable yeah. and uh hearing I'm, you I'm... talk
0: about the event though i don't think i have the wardrobe for it <laughs> i don't think i have the skills to to
1: make <laughs> enough good stuff um, oh i'm sure you have a big wardrobe with uh enough clothing to to uh spend a, a week in florence in january how many outfits do you reckon to get through in a week um basically three because uh tuesday wednesday and thursday are the main um main days and a fourth one just for traveling which is usually a bit more comfortable than the rest and that's already a lot so um uh, i know people that just attend one or two days of the exhibition and thus only have two or three outfits which is i mean you can also go uh every day every day with the same outfit so i um i'm sure a lot of listeners are sitting there now wondering what is pity
0: what is this exhibition why all these outfits ah. what is this
1: <laughs> yeah so pity womo is i would say the world's most uh most important menswear exhibition so womo is italian for men and um yeah it's uh, happening in florence in italy uh twice a year in January and in June, I think, usually for one, the January one is for the uh, autumn winter collection and, or collections of, um, of the manufacturers. And uh, the one in June is obviously for the spring and summer collections. Uh, but it's not just classic menswear, it's, it's men, menswear generally. And so you you have a lot of modern brands like uh, I don't know, replay or um, you could even see uh, a thing like Falke, which is a German sock manufacturer, for example, those kind of things. But there is and, and the uh, pt happening um, on the grounds of a, um, of a fortress of, a, I think, Renaissance fortress in Florence. And there, so it's not like your usual exhibition with a big exhibition hall, but it's more like the you know the grounds of the fortress. So you have uh, a lot of smaller buildings where you have showrooms inside of those brands, and there's one uh, modern bigger building on the grounds of the fortress, and most of the classic menswear brands are in there because they just have a small booth, for example Lok or edward green walker slater um, or i don't know some silk manufacturer from italy they all usually located in that uh, in that building and uh, i think a couple of years ago like 10 10 15 years ago um the press the 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 fashion press like vogue uh, realized that there are a lot of fashionable people going to pity because they are a buyer for uh, for example a, um, a menswear shop going to florence and talking to manufacturers what they want to put in their stores um or manufacturer or yeah people working for a manufacturer that are that are very fashionable working at the booth at the at the exhibition and uh, the thing is i don't know if if that changed at some point but uh, in theory pity still is not a visitor fair so you have to have either an association with the manufacturer a store or the press you you can't just buy a ticket uh to to um to get to pity but since yeah the the press uh and all those people um, interested in in classic menswear not only or menswear um, generally but especially classic menswear uh yeah gathered in florence twice a year at some point um it uh, developed developed into something like class reunion because everybody knows everyone and uh yeah now you're meeting once or twice a year to see everyone and florence is a is a really pretty city you can do great photos uh in the city in the in the in the small streets and uh, the fortezza the 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 pity wall those the is very f- uh, famous now uh, thanks to Instagram and all those photos made in front of the wall yeah that's that's pity I hope that was not too confusing
0: because <laughs> uh, I get the impression that it, it has become there there is a menswear exhibition there but it's sort of the the meetup the party all the people showing off that is really what pity is about now.
1: Yeah, there are a lot of evening events. Um the most most are organized by brands. Um I don't know, some, you know, cocktail evening events or uh, even um dinner events. And yeah, if you know people, you get invited. Um but even if you're not invited, uh the the streets of Florence are filled with fashionable men and I mean it's it, it's uh very similar to um see i don't know when i when i was 16 and went on vacation with my family and i saw someone in i don't know prague with a with a certain band shirt you know and we lock eyes you know we we understand each other instantly and that it's the same in florence because you you see um you see those people interested into the same stuff as you are. And that's really cool. I mean there is also the uh, the phenomenon of pity peacocks, which is people going to the fair just to be photographed by some fashion photographer for some magazine. Um and of course they are ridiculed a lot and uh, people complain about it, but <sighs> it's a made up problem, you know. <laughs> it's still there are I and, and I mean it's sometimes it's difficult to um to uh to talk to certain people because the conversation remains really shallow because the, you know some people are just there to be photographed not to i don't know meet anyone or because they have no i don't know substantial interest in classic menswear they just want to be seen um but i also met a lot of pretty cool people in florence so uh, i can really recommend if you have the opportunity to to go to pitti then then do it
0: Okay, Nicholas, I will have to try to get to Pity. It sounds like um, the sort of place I might enjoy, if only to observe the (laughs) parading. And uh, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Um, Bye-bye for now. Bye. That was all for this week's Scamology. What will next week bring? Hit subscribe or follow to automatically download next week's episode as soon as it's published. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, I would appreciate a review and rating. If you listen on Spotify, you can also leave a rating there. I I keep saying this every week, and I know it's been a while since anyone did leave a review, so maybe surprise me. It's soon Christmas. If you'd like to get in touch, my email is welldresseddad at gmail.com or well-dressed on instagram again links and details in the show notes including a link to the patreon details so until next week bye-bye for now